Good morning. Good morning. It's exciting that football season is here. Um, I know many of you were eagerly watching the games yesterday. One of the more exciting games of the day you probably did not see, um, Miami, Ohio versus Minnesota. Okay, the reason we're watching this is that um, Megan's brother is on the uh, staff with Miami, Ohio. And so they have the ball, and they're going down. It's the very end of the game. They get it to the 20-yard line. Miami is down by six, 20-yard line. Very last play of the game, pass into the end zone is broken up, and they cut, this is on the Big Ten Network, they cut to the Miami fans, and my brother-in-law's wife is going, <laughs> for like five seconds on television. So it was very exciting. We got to see her on TV yesterday. <laughs> Sad about the outcome. Uh, so I kind of feel like this morning we're down. I know some of you guys are almost itching to get out of here. So if you give us a few moments this morning, that'd be very appreciative. Um, our text this morning is from chap- John chapter 8, uh, verses 31 to 36. So if you have a Bible, please open to that. John chapter 8, 31 to 36. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is, is talking to the Jews, and he's showing them, and he's showing us this morning, the characteristics of a true disciple. You know, these people had come to hear his teaching. They came to see Jesus. But that did not make them genuine disciples. Even believing him, like it says in verse 31, to the Jews who believed him, did not make them true disciples. You know, this is where we go, wait a second, they believed Jesus, but they weren't really disciples. Isn't, but but that, isn't that what the Bible teaches? The Bible says that if we believe him, then we'll be saved, and that's all we have to do. Well, yes, that's true if we have true faith. You know, if we have saving faith, but these Jews did not have saving faith. Instead, they had very basic faith. Their faith was not strong enough to move them to commit their lives to Christ. And there are many, many, many people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but whose faith is not strong, who do not have saving faith in the Son of God. In my own life, I know this to be true. Maybe like some of you, I grew up going to church every single Sunday. You know, I was here, not here, but I was in church uh, going to youth group. I was in Sunday school. I grew up in a Christian family. I knew all the right things. I probably knew more about Jesus than anyone I knew. But, But when I actually looked at my life, my faith was not faith to save me. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't actually know Jesus. You know, I knew that Jesus was a Savior, but I didn't actually know him as my Savior. I knew that God offered truth, but I was not actively seeking the truth. And it wasn't until God grabbed a hold of me and forced me 
to look at the reality of my own life did I realize that my faith was not saving faith. You know, and how did I know? I knew because of my actions, because I didn't obey him. You know, Jesus tells these people, if you hold to my teaching, then you are a true disciple. A disciple means a learner. Disciple means learner. To become a disciple, you need to learn the words of Jesus, to hold to his teachings. There's a difference here between believing him and holding to his teaching. You know, some describe this as believing Jesus or believing in Jesus. You know, I've heard it described this way, and one of the best ways I've heard it is, let's talk about this chair. I can believe in this chair. It's there. It looks very strong, made of wood. Looks very comfortable. Has a nice cushion on it. Um, You know, it's nice and brown. I can believe in the chair. I can talk to you about the chair. I can teach a class about how amazing this chair is. I could tell you to come and sit in this chair and to know the comfort of the chair. But if I do not actually sit in this chair myself, I don't trust the chair. It's not until I sit in the chair that I trust the chair. And the same thing is true with Jesus. Until we actually know him, we don't trust him. So the people here, they're believing the words of Jesus. They're present when he is teaching They came to hear his words, but they don't believe to the point of actually trusting him. They're not true disciples, and they've not yet held to his teaching. So how do we know if someone is holding to his teaching? Here's a few ways. First, true discipleship, true saving faith, is revealed in our action and not in our attendance. True faith is demonstrated through action. It's not measured by attendance. Discipleship is something that can be witnessed. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. You know, this is the same, this idea is the same thing with everything in life, really. You know, taking a class on something doesn't make you an expert. Watching a video doesn't make you a professional. How many professional athletes would we have in this room if watching a video made you a professional? <laughs> I would probably be getting $25, $30 million a year if they paid me to sit and watch television, if that made me a professional athlete. It doesn't matter how many books you've read or how many Holiday Inn Expresses you've slept in. Okay, expertise is displayed through action and not attendance. This is why your math teacher didn't give you one math problem and say that's it. This is why she then gave you 100 problems to take home and work on so that you could do all of them because you don't demonstrate that you know it until you've done it. You know, put it this way. Would you rather be operated on by a doctor, or excuse me, would you rather be operated on by a person who attended every single class in medical school Or would you rather be operated on by a doctor who aced their board exams and had experience in the surgery? Give me the doctor. Attendance does not make you a professional. Attendance did not make these people disciples, true disciples. Jesus is saying that you will know that you are a true disciple when having been tested, you hold to his teaching. True discipleship is displayed not by hearing the words of Jesus, but by holding to the words of Jesus. And it's knowing and living and loving the word of God and the teachings of Christ. A true disciple learns to lo- loves to learn and live out the word of God. They love it. James chapter 2, verse 17 says that faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Belief without action is not living faith. It's not alive. Faith leads to action, not attendance. You know, a parable of Jesus helps us to see the difference between This simple faith and true faith. So if you have in your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 11 to 15. 
This will be very familiar to you. Luke 8, verse 11. This is Jesus talking. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. In the parable, the seed is scattered everywhere. It's on the rock, it's on the paths, it's among the thorns, and it's in good soil. And Jesus says that three of these groups actually believe, the ones on the rocks and the thorns and the good soil, but only one believes to the point of persevering. There is belief that does not lead to saving faith. Those with saving faith both hear and put into practice the word and then produce a crop. And what does it mean to produce a crop? It means to demonstrate fruit in your life, to continue to spread the word that it may produce faith in others as well. Because their actions reveal our hearts. You know, someone who's not a true disciple can still love to be around Jesus. They can love to be around the church. They can be seen as his followers. They can be known as churchgoers. They may enjoy the rest and civility that comes with being associated with Jesus. They might enjoy the respect and the connections and the perks that come with being associated with the church. But when it comes to trusting in Jesus with their lives, they resist. And true discipleship is demonstrated through our action, not our attendance. Here's a couple other things that distinguish genuine disciples. True disciples demonstrate devotion while those who aren't desert quickly. In times of trial, when the going get tough, when the creek done rise, when life is at its worst, our faith is at its best. Saving faith is at its most meaningful in times of trial. In times of trial, they either reveal our devotion Loyalty and dependence on Christ and his word. Or they expose us as unfaithful, disloyal deserters who never really bought into it anyways. Next, the true disciples adore the truth, while those who aren't abhor it. A disciple loves to hear the truth and is quick to correct error in their lives. They adore the word of God. They long to spend time in his word. Someone who isn't abhors, they hate the truth. They do not love God's word, but rather are offended by it. And instead of aligning their lives to the truth, they alter the word to fit their lifestyle. They're constantly spinning the truth and spinning God's word to have it say what they believe instead of believing what it says. And false disciples are full of excuses and they rationalize their sinful behavior, while true disciples are contrite and humbled and without excuse when sin is exposed in their life. So true disciples demonstrate faith through action, devotion, and love for the truth, just to name a few. But for those without saving faith, all is not lost. You know, like me, not all of us come to faith right away when we believe. You know, God had to work in my life. God had to turn my simple belief into true saving faith. You know, Charles Spurgeon writes this, that out of a weak and imperfect faith, something better may arise. 
saving faith in its secret beginnings may be contained in this common and doubtful faith. Now, we're to encourage those who have not yet given their trust to Christ, who have not really fully, truly have faith in him. You know, but, but at the same time, we have to be truthful with them and not give them a false hope. Spurgeon also says, it is clear that Jesus encourages them, but he does not flatter them. He doesn't point to them and say, oh, you have true faith, when they don't. You know, there is hope. Just because I'm not a true disciple now does not mean that I cannot be a true disciple. God may not be finished with me or with you. In fact, if you're not a true disciple, Jesus' next words are for you. He's patient, he knows the condition of our hearts, and he longs for us to fully trust him with our lives. You know, he's trying to take these people, these, these people who do not have true saving faith, he's trying to take their half faith, this fake discipleship, this beginning faith, and he's moving them towards true freedom. So back in our text in verse 32. Jesus is going to make a statement that is going to upset the crowd. He says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered. This is back in John. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that the truth, how can you say that we shall be set free? Clearly here, Jesus is offending his listeners. We see that he says that, how can you say that? This is the equivalent of, how dare you? Or, well, I never. What are you talking about? We are not slaves to anyone. Why, how can you say we'd be set free? And this is sort of to these people, to the Jews, this is sort of like mentioning that which shall not be named. Okay? They had been slaves to the Egyptians. They had been slaves to the Babylonians, slaves to the Assyrians, slaves to the Persians, and currently they were being occupied by the Romans. How can you even pretend that you are free? You know, they have a long history of people of slavery. But they're extremely sensitive to the word. It's sort of like a cuss word for them that you mention it and they would get very defensive. You know, it's like mentioning to an Irishman that he's pale. Okay, it's the elephant in the room. Everybody knows it. That's where you bet. But of course, Jesus is not talking about political or physical slavery and quite possibly they even recognize that. The slavery he's suggesting then is a spiritual slavery. Verse 34, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The truth that Jesus is talking about that's going to set them free is the truth that sin is a slave master. It controls our actions, it controls our thoughts, it consumes our whole being. Unlike physical slavery, though, sin, it masquerades, it, it, it disguises itself as freedom. You know, it tricks us into believing that we're in charge and that we're in control, and all the while it has us chained up like a prisoner in a dungeon, hopeless to escape. The truth, this truth is distressing and it's disturbing and it's uncomfortable, but it's also eye-opening and liberating. And Jesus says that if you know this truth, then you can enjoy true freedom. Or to put it the other way, unless you know this truth, you'll be a slave. Jesus teaches us some things about freedom here. The first is that freedom from sin is possible. Now, doulos, I don't know any Greek except for one word, doulos is the word here for slave. Okay, this means bondservant. 
Okay, not servant like Jeeves, the butler kind of servant, but servant like a chained, a chained slave who has the most menial task and whose only hope of escape is death. Because you can't order around a dead man anymore. Okay, so if you are a doulos, you are a slave bound to slavery until death. And Jesus is saying that that is what we are when it comes to sin, that sin has us bound and our only hope of escape is death. You know, the truth is really much worse than they imagined it. Or as Jack Miller put it, cheer up, you're worse than you think. Right, Abby? Amen! <laughs> you know, have you ever been in a situation like this in your life where you didn't realize you weren't 100% certain? You know, or, or sorry, to me, you know, a lot of times I'm 100% certain about something, only later to find out that I'm 100% wrong happens to me all the time. When I was 16 years old, I'm going to share a story about my mom because she's not here. Um, when I was 16 years old in Pennsylvania, you have to be 16 to get your driver's permit. Okay, I'm 16. I'm driving. My mom is in the car with me. We're going back towards my house from an intersection that's very close to my house. And we drive through this all the time. The first time I'm driving with her through this intersection. And I come up to the, I come up to the intersection. I make the right. There's a yield sign. And I continue through the yield sign. And she screams, stop! And grabs the wheel real fast. And I'm looking, and there's nobody around. Mom, what are you doing? Didn't you see the sign? It said yield. So, right? There's nobody coming. No, yield means stop. Like, no, it doesn't. You know, for 35 years, she had been driving. She thought yield meant stop. Every time she came to a yield sign, she stopped. I learned in driver's ed, yield meant yield. If there's no one coming, you can continue through the sign. She had no idea. It wasn't until her 16-year-old son had to show her the truth. <laughs> that is maybe the only time a 16-year-old son has ever shown their mother the truth. Uh, a, a kind of a funny story um, about my wife. She's also not here. Uh, <laughs> after we'd been married for a while, you know, we were making a pizza in the oven, and, and I, I told her, you know, at the very end of the pizza, turn on the broiler, and you just put it in the broiler for a few minutes to kind of get that nice melty cheese on the top. You know what I'm talking about? If you want it to look like Pizza Hut, you just put the broiler on, you stick it under the broiler. And so she takes the pizza out of the oven and goes to put it in the, in, the, in the drawer underneath the oven. And I said, what are you doing? She said, that's the broiler. I said, no, that's, that is not the broiler. What, what had happened was she grew up and they put the broiler pan in the drawer underneath the oven. And so she thought that was the broiler and she went to turn on the broiler and stick it in the shelf underneath the oven to finish melting the cheese. Okay. Um, Here's a a few things that also that we found out. These are advertisements. I stole these from uh, Missy Goebel's Facebook page. Here's a few older advertisements that now that we know the truth opens our eyes. Cocaine, toothache drops. These are real. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. You might remember this advertisement. Here's one from Motorola. How television benefits your children. <laughs> Get your homework done properly. Television strengthens your family time. This is what it says here. Probably my favorite one. For a better start in life, start cola earlier. Let me read you the fine print on this advertisement. How soon is too soon to start cola? Not soon enough. 
Laboratory tests on the last few years have proven babies who start drinking soda during their early formative period have a higher chance of gaining acceptance and fitting in during those awkward preteen years. <laughs> so do yourself a favor, do your child a favor, start them on a straight strict regimen of soda and other sugary carbonated beverages right now for a, get this, lifetime of guaranteed happiness. <laughs> Throw out the bottles. These are things that we find out later that we didn't know what we didn't know. And that's exactly what it's like with a life of sin. And sometimes the truth is dangerous. How many people read those smoking ads and thought, Dr. Smoke, it's okay for me. The truth is that Jesus is serious, is, the truth that Jesus is sharing seriously challenges the presuppositions of his audience. They think we can't be slaves, we're free. We can't be slaves, we are free. Not so, Jesus says. If you are a sin, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. But Jesus says that freedom is possible, and the truth shall set them free. If you recognize the truth that you are a slave, then you can be set free. But some people don't recognize this truth, and they defend their slavery. Now, have you heard of the term, st term Stockholm Syndrome? Anyone? This is a psychological term developed after um, there was a robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. And after being captive for six days, the bank tellers actually defended their kidnappers because their minds were so distorted that they grew to love their captors. And this is the same thing that happens with sin. That sin has us so bound in slavery that we learn to love our sin. We defend our sin. We go to great lengths to defend it, saying things like, oh, it's not that bad, or I can stop anytime I want. You know, we practice our sin in the secret places of our hearts and our homes. And yet we become angered when we're confronted by the reality of its power over us. Freedom from sin is possible. Christ came to set us free from this ransom. We were bondservants and slaves whose only escape was through death. But Galatians 2.20 invites us to become crucified with Christ, to become a new creation so we would no longer be slaves to sin. Our last point today, true freedom is found only in the Son. If the Son sets you free, Jesus says, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will know true freedom. You know, so you might have thought that you had freedom. But unless you have Christ in your life, you don't have true freedom. True freedom doesn't come from living in America. True freedom doesn't come from getting to leave your parents' house and make your own rules. Or for parents, the kids getting to leave their house. True freedom doesn't come from getting out of an unhealthy relationship. True freedom doesn't come from leaving a stressful job. True freedom is only found in the Son. Not only has the Son has power over sin. Now, there's two errors that we come in contact with when we're dealing with grace. The first error we talked about earlier um, is in regards to performance, and it's the error of the Pharisees. You see, what they had believed was that their performance would save them. And really, our performance doesn't save us. It's just an indicator of our relationship with God. True salvation can never be earned because it's given. But it can be demonstrated. Or as Spurgeon says, he says, Abhor all idea of being saved by good works, but, oh, be as full of good works as if you were to be saved by them. Our good works can't save us, but they're a demonstration that we've been saved. The other error that we fall into is the error of antinomianism. This is a term made up by Martin Luther. Um, among the people in his day, this was a, a, a heresy uh, during his time. And th the idea here was that when we've been set free from Christ, not only have we been set free from, from 
sin, but we were also set free from the law of God. And so what people, what people were doing was they were using their freedom in Christ as an excuse to keep sinning. Galatians 4, 9, though, tells us, But now that you know God, or rather are known by, known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? The error of the antinomians is that they would go and they would continue in their sin. They would claim their freedom in Christ and use that as freedom to sin. We're free from the guilt of our sin, the punishment of our sin, the slavery to sin, and that freedom is found only in the blood of Christ. You know, Christ alone not only knows the truth, but is the truth. Christ alone died a sinless death to atone for my sins and your sins. You know, Christ alone can make us free. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This morning, Jesus Christ is offering to set us free. Not just to set us free from our sin, but to set us free to become his child. Free to join his family. You might think you know true freedom, but unless you know the freedom of Christ, you're a slave. You might be a slave to sin. You might be a slave to the law. But either way, Jesus wants you to know that true freedom is only found in him. Your true disciples hold to his truth. They demonstrate through their actions that they're followers of Jesus. If you do not know true freedom, Christ is offering that true freedom to you today. Freedom from slavery, freedom from sin, and freedom to call on him as your Abba Father, as your Daddy. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. and Father, we thank you so much for your incredible grace towards us. God, that in our ignorance, in our sin, that we're slaves to sin, but that you died so that you can show us the truth that we are slaves. God, the truth that freedom is only found in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sins this morning. Lord, that you would expose the things in our lives that do not align with your word. Father, so that it may be your disciples truly. Lord, give us the power to, def- to protect against sin in our lives. Lord, again, convict us, teach us. Father, show us who we really are so that we might truly depend and trust in you. Amen.